1: The portal is open. The magic is flowing. Let's get this thing going. I'm your wizard, Devin Person, and you're locked into This Podcast is a Ritual. In today's time-spanning episode... We're going to be speaking with Mallory Vaudois, author and occult practitioner, about how to honor your ancestors. Years ago, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I read Kurt Vonnegut's classic novel, Breakfast of Champions. And there was a short passage that has stuck with me for a very long time about an ambulance driver named Eddie Key. Eddie descended from an African tribe that had a tradition where each generation had one member who had to memorize all of the stories of the family lineage so far. And that honor had fallen to Eddie. So while Eddie's out driving around in his ambulance, looking out at the windshield at the world, he thinks to himself about how he feels like a vehicle, and all of his ancestors are piled into it, looking out through his eyes at the world. As Vonnegut puts it, Eddie Key was afloat in a river of people who were flowing from here to there in time. I think that's an idea that connects with today's episode. Mallory has a new book coming out called Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration, which taps into this idea of how we connect with this flow of all the people who lived their lives and procreated and worked to pass on, not just genetic material, but information, culture, ways of doing things, on to the next generation, so that that generation and the next and the next could become part of this great chain of being. So, passing on our information as a humble podcast to you, the listener, let's get into it. Mallory, welcome to Ritual Space.
0: Thank you, Devin. Thanks for having me.
1: It's my great pleasure. Can you give us our magic word for today?
0: The magic word for today is lux.
1: Lux. Okay, since I don't know what that means, can you explain it a little bit and then we'll...
0: Lux is Latin for light, and it is found in a traditional prayer for the dead. Requiem eternum dona eis domine lux perpetua luceat eis. Which means, eternal rest grant unto them, Lord, and may eternal light shine upon them.
1: Well, thank you for making your magic word not that entire thing. <laughs> and let's, uh, let's gather the vibes and bring everyone in. So, one, two, three. Luke. Lukes! Great. So, I'm so glad you started us with this lovely prayer, because today we're going to talk about how to honor one's ancestors.
0: Awesome. Sounds good.
1: So you are currently in the final stages of uh, putting on a book on this very topic, which is why you're the expert I'm so excited to chat with about it.
0: I am. Yeah. The book is called Honoring Your Ancestors, and it is coming out in either September or October of 2019.
1: Great. So it's either in your future or in your past, but either way, you can look that up. And how did you come to this, uh, this topic, this area of interest?
0: Well, I think I've always felt a really strong connection with my ancestors. I come from an Italian-American family, and so I grew up hearing all of these stories about where our family came from and what it had meant to my immediate ancestors, my grandparents and great-grandparents, To sacrifice so much, to give up the whole world that they knew, uh, to give up knowing the language, to give up having any money, to give up everything that they had in order to come to America as a sacrifice to me specifically. This was always framed in terms of every generation has a responsibility to make life a little bit easier and a little bit sweeter for the next generation.
1: There was a personal myth about the sacrifices of the past to create the future that you inhabit.
0: Yes, and with an understanding very explicit from my parents that I had a part to play in this chain and that whatever blessings they were transmitting to me from that ancestral line, I had a responsibility to share it with the next generation.
1: So to pay it forward.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Which is interesting because then the idea of honoring the ancestors is sort of paying it back, in a sense, right? Like, you could face forward and say, oh, my obligation is to my children and grandchildren, or at the same time, my gratitude extends backward to all of these people who have created the reality that I now inhabit.
0: Absolutely, and I think part of honoring your ancestors is about preparing yourself to join them eventually.
1: Ooh, okay. So you grew up in this family environment, and then this was something that, like, what, how did this come about in your family? Was there things that you did? Were there ways that you celebrated holidays? How did your family honor your ancestors?
0: That's an interesting question. Um, So I did not really grow up in a very churchy environment. And so a lot of my understanding of uh, what it meant to be aware of the sacrifices that our ancestors made and to be honoring them was a little bit more secular, a little bit more materialist. Uh, My mother was fascinated with the idea of past lives. Um, and I think she had maybe some past life awareness that she alluded to every now and then. Um, but otherwise, I didn't really come into the uh, the forms that I used to honor my ancestors until I moved to New York. And suddenly, I went from uh, an Italian-American upbringing in the suburbs of Massachusetts, where, uh, you know, my great-grandparents and grandparents had kind of gone directly into having uh, land and farming, which was the ultimate goal, I think, of a lot of Italian immigrants. Yeah. Um, Did they
1: come in through New York City?
0: No, no. No.
1: They like, went straight Well, to they Bo- went
0: in through Ellis Island and okay. then moved straight to Boston. Gotcha. Um, and what you find is that Italian-American culture is a lot more strongly preserved in the urban environments, but it was nobody's dream who came to America from Italy to live in an urban environment. They wanted land. Maybe they wanted to settle in the U.S., but more likely they wanted to earn enough money so that they could support themselves and have land in Italy. Yeah. And so I didn't grow up with, uh like, the Feast of Seven Fishes or any of the kind of classic Italian-American rituals. Uh, I definitely had, I think, kind of a... A generic cultural background in that my grandfather had built this sort of compound for his children and their children to live on and it was sort of structured like a piazza in in italy where the towns are often structured around the central square where people um go to engage in in kind of social life and public life Um, but i didn't have so much of the ritual aspect and then i moved to new york and all of a sudden i was surrounded by italian american culture i was walking down streets that had saint statues and statues of the Madonna. Um, And I was, uh, you know, encountering parades and feast days in the middle of the city and, and, you know, right out in the streets. And that was really uh, fascinating to me. And I, I just had this intuition that if I could learn a little bit more about this landscape and the sacred sense of time and place that that would unlock something magical in me.
1: That's beautiful. I, I, like, even, you know, not coming from an Italian background, I've seen that in New York. And the one I've seen specifically is in Williamsburg, and it's the festival where they have, I'm going to pronounce it wrong and you get to correct me, the uh, Giglio. Giglio. The Giglio, which is a giant statue tower that a bunch of tough high school seniors and their dads lift and carry around and then set down and it's all about lifting it up and carrying it and setting it down. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful event because it's, it's the old and the new side by side where it's this time honored tradition next to carts selling hot sausages. Yes. And that's just like, I like it's just the Italian American thing, like just like taking over Williamsburg.
0: Yeah. And, and so many of these feasts, the, the Giglio festival Uh, In Williamsburg is something really special but a lot of these feasts have an element of um, feats of strength in them and it's often like Festivus exactly like Festivus yeah and it's often um, it's a particular honor within the community as a man to be selected to perform one of these feats of strength but you're always doing it with other men obviously because these are you know these things weigh hundreds maybe thousands of pounds Um, and so you're, you're brought into this team that is performing, uh, you know, this extreme act of devotion together. And, you know, sometimes there are smaller things like that. Like you see people who will walk barefoot through the street um, as a kind of sign of devotion um, or people who will carry... Um, enormous... In New York,
1: that's a big sign of devotion. That's, if you're willing yeah, you to walk barefoot, you've got a lot of faith.
0: you got a lot of faith at that yeah. point.
1: I'd rather do hot coals.
0: <laughs> um, and then also people who will just carry carry like giant pillar candles, which are quite heavy, but one person can carry them um, on their own. Uh, and so a, a lot of it is very sensual and um, about these kind of extreme states that we can bring our bodies into to be able to perform either extreme feats of strength or also to um, withstand extreme states of pain.
1: Extreme states of pain and extreme (laughs) states of pleasure, just the two sides back to back. It's like when you gorge yourself at a feast, and then that's pleasure, and then you feel awful because you gorged yourself at a feast, and
0: yeah, or going yeah. the other direction, you have you know Fat Tuesday mm-hmm. on uh, you know the the day before Ash Wednesday, and then you begin forty days of fasting, right? So yeah. you know you and, and then that ends with a big feast as well. That ends with Easter, so you're, feast
1: or famine, yeah,
0: bringing yourself back and forth between these extreme states of, of you know pleasure and of pain.
1: So you got to New York and the environment just triggered this, can I call it an awakening or?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: A surfacing of this, this family energy that was within you. And then how did that begin to manifest and come, come out?
0: Well, I became really interested in the rituals that my ancestors would have been engaging in, the ones that had been lost in this transition between Italy and America. Um, And one of the uh, types of rituals that I became really deeply involved in is the indigenous drumming traditions of Southern Italy. So, I've been apprenticing with a master folk musician, Alessandra Belloni, who teaches two styles primarily, she, she actually teaches other styles as well of uh, Italian drumming and dance, which are associated with ecstatic rituals. Um, and those are the tamburiata from Naples, where my family's from, and the pizza catarantata, which is from Puglia. Can I?
1: I I want. I want to learn how to say this word. Yeah. The pizza can tatatata. Pizzica. Pizzica.
0: Yeah. Pizzica. Pizzica. Tarantata. Tarantata. Which means the spider bite, or the 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 bite of the woman who has been bit by the spider.
1: Oh right, and I've heard you talk about this in a lecture before. Can you can you just explain this a little bit more for uh, the listeners?
0: Yeah, so this particular style of uh, music and dance, as we know it today, has its roots in an ecstatic musical therapy ritual. Uh, and the kind of mythic narrative that underlies this ritual is uh, people, primarily women who were working in the fields in southern Italy, would be bit by a poisonous creature, usually a spider, sometimes a snake, or stung by a scorpion. And they would fall into a state of either melancholy or mania or uh, some kind of frenzy. And they, at that point, were known as a Tarantata, um, so a woman who has been spider bit. And a tarantato would probably die if this particular ecstatic dance ritual was not undertaken. And so her family would hire a team of musicians who would play from, you know, anywhere from three to seven days continuously. Wow. No breaks for sleep or, you know, going out and doing anything else. I
1: think a party that goes until like five in the morning is crazy, but that is wild.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you I think for one thing, when you're there's a special type of strength and resiliency that people develop when they're working the land. Yeah. Um. But also this particular style of drumming. Can elicit states which are very similar to, um, you know, the type of altered states of consciousness that you might find uh, associated with, uh, you know, certain controlled substances, substances which are illegal in the United States. Um, and certainly all the fun substances, all the good ones, basically. Yeah. 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 But with I mean, this is the, sort of like
1: a speed like it's like it's like you're in a trance, right, that you can just focus. It's, it's yeah, you it's, know.
0: Adderall
1: On natural
0: <laughs> Yeah Some some people might call it that Yeah I've heard I've heard people calling it um, The Italian ayahuasca
1: Whoa um,
0: Which I think is Is a little A little funny But um But it
1: Well also And not the The craze that Ayahuasca Classico is Because people want to go And sip a brew They're less inclined to go Learn how to drum for three days
0: Yeah Potentially yeah Yeah Um but I certainly, in, in my experience, it can in, result in altered states of consciousness. It can also be, um, you know, I'll come home from a drumming uh, event or lesson, and I won't be able to sleep for several hours. And I'm usually the type of person who falls asleep right away. That's mm-hmm. just kind of how I'm wired. But it really does, the, the beat of the drum really does alter your whole orientation within your body. Yeah. Um, and so that can result in physical effects. It can result in metaphysical effects.
1: And this is something that was common in the area where your ancestors.
0: Yeah. Common throughout Southern Italy. We associate it primarily now with Puglia, um, which is, uh, you know, it's now very famous for the style of drumming, but it was found throughout Southern Italy. um, And it was, it was, you know, the, the, the folk religion really for hundreds of years. Um, And as it, Began to fall into decline there were pockets of it which survived in different regions some of which became um, I guess kind of more specialist in Certain aspects of the tradition so like in Puglia right now we find this whole myth of the you know the Tarantata and the musical cure of uh, You know the, the melancholy or the mania is really well preserved, but then in Naples in Campania um we find more of an emphasis on uh, the kind of cult of the dead. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, through my research, both academic research and and kind of personal, um, you know, experimental research, I found that these things are are all kind of interwoven. um, And that I think part of the point of getting into this ecstatic trance ritual was in order to um, experience spirits of the dead. um, And to, you know, potentially if one of them is... uh, on you um, to be able to uh, either exercise it or to establish a kind of truce with it, and you find this in uh, you find this in other cultures as well. A very similar narrative of becoming possessed and then uh, undertaking a musical exorcism. I'm thinking particularly of zar, which is practiced um, in several several countries in northern Africa and other parts of Africa as well.
1: So these are ways to sort of open up the divide between worlds and you're either keeping things at bay or you're connecting across that divide with the dead and perhaps specifically ancestors who have have passed on previously.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly.
1: And so as you started these drumming practices and connecting with, which I think is a beautiful way to actually connect with the idea and the memory of your ancestors is, oh, here's stuff that got lost at customs when you came to America Mm -hmm. and instead of just you know, going to Sbarros more frequently, you can actually connect with a deeper, more meaningful uh, aspect of the culture. Mm-hmm. How did that transform your life and lead you deeper to the point of writing a book?
0: Yeah, it's been a really strange trip. You know, <laughs> um, I, you know,
1: I'm familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, really,
0: really. Now, um, well, I, I wouldn't say it's quite turned into a wizard. Strange. Um, but uh, there's many strains of strange exactly exactly strange strains um, and you know for, for me personally there's been a lot of connections that I've made with people uh, really good friends and, and you know my husband and um, you know people who came into my life because I was following this call um, and I like to to think of it as, you know, we all the the first sound that any of us ever hears is our mother's heartbeat. When we're in the womb, we hear the pulsing of blood through her body, and that is a drumbeat. That the is first kind of funky the,
1: rhythm. Yeah, yeah. The first hopefully not rhythm. too funky, but yeah.
0: <laughs> well, if you made it out, probably yeah, wasn't yeah. too funky, um, and.
1: It's a classic four on the floor heartbeat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep.
0: And and actually they're you know, one of the one of the um the styles that Alessandra teaches is the Tamurigata, which is a four four, and it is primarily associated with rituals to honor the Madonna, the universal mother. Um and it's a, a devotional practice. Um, and and it, it also has this relationship with, you know, spirits and spirits of the dead and the ancestors. Um, but there's also this figure of the Madonna, the mother, and, uh, you know, that, that the earth womb from which we've all emerged. Um, and, I you know, I often like to think about my spiritual practice on a kind of macro level as, like, when I get lost just finding that drumbeat again and, and you know, returning to uh the state of awareness of the madonna's heartbeat
1: i had uh in my wizard journey which i think there is some similarities of yeah like you said when you start going on this things open up and the people in your life come together or fall away as they are wont to do but uh it was really important for me to take hot baths and smoke a very small amount of pot and kind of journey and there was a moment where I realized as I'm curled up in this bathtub in warm water and more or less a fetal position I was like oh this is very Freudian (laughs) like this urge to retreat back to the womb and connect with that most primal most elementary experience of memory
0: Mhm. Yeah, and and I mean in a certain way we're we're all still kind of in the Madonna's womb. Like everything everything that we see here is her, everything that we um, you know, everything that we eat that we're nourished by physically or metaphysically is is kind of like coming from from the earth.
1: Yeah. Mother Earth is giving birth, as yeah, Parliament and, Funkadelic, I think, So
0: Well, they, they had it right, or yeah. he or she had it right. They. 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 Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, you're already kind of getting a sense for the ways in which uh, honoring your ancestors can lead you to other things as well. It doesn't just, like, start and stop with them, but it can lead you down other kind of pathways. And, and now we get a picture of other spiritual beings... Um, and you know a, a kind of animistic sense of this whole ecosystem of which we're just a small part. Um, you know, spirits of the land, house spirits. Uh, you know, the the primal spirits of the elements. Um, it's hard to just kind of. I, I think if you're if you're venerating your ancestors and you're only focused on your human ancestors, you're just limiting yourself. Um, you're
1: missing the larger story.
0: The larger story, exactly.
1: I've actually read a theory that talks about ancestor veneration as the origin pretty much of all religion because there's a natural experience when you're close to someone and they die that you kind of continue to have conversations with them in your head and then hearing those voices and wanting to connect with them leads to this worship which then as it gets passed down through the generations the ancestors become more and more godlike, and that some of the earliest hunter-gatherer religions they think were really oriented around um that as a causal route
0: yeah that is that is fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so let's talk specifically uh about the book and uh if you can give me a little bit of an overview of what it is that you explore within its pages
0: yeah so the book is uh really what i wanted to do with the book was to provide a kind of you know do-it-yourself workbook for somebody who is interested in exploring building their own ancestor veneration practice, but who isn't in, say, a lineage, the same way that I've had the opportunity to train in uh, my drumming lineages or uh, other spiritual lineages where, you know, somebody has told me this is how our lineage honors our ancestors.
1: Right. You had a clear model to, to follow through on, whereas other people tend to be more mutts who don't really know anything beyond their grandparents and have to sort of figure it out or do 23andMe.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, it's it's always a blessing when you have somebody who is able to teach you, look, this is how our family honors our ancestors or this is how our lineage honors honors our ancestors and that can kind of like kickstart a personal practice but even when you're in that type of a situation there's still a certain amount of um development that happens in that relationship because there's no mediator between you and your ancestors you are the high priest or the high priestess of this religion period and that comes with great power and with great responsibility because if you fuck up there's a can i swear
1: Oh, you can totally swear.
0: Okay. All right, classic classic podcast question. Can I swear? Oh, of course you can. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you if you do mess up, that's kind of on you. You have to like take on that responsibility of of figuring out how to how to write things with your line. Um, and so that's what I, you know, kind of the attitude that I had, the goal that I had going into writing the book was I need it to be Uh, something that inspires, that elicits a response and action and thought from the reader, but which is not, um, you know, really dogmatic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not coming from a particular spiritual lineage, although it does reflect the training that I've had. It is entirely, you know, an open source a series of exercises, thought experiments, ritual techniques um, that anybody can pick up and find what works for them or find what leads them to something that works for them.
1: It's how to cook.
0: Ingredients may vary. Yeah, in many ways, in many ways. Or like when you're aware of the alchemical processes that go into food, like um, salt, fat, acid, heat... Uh, a book and now a documentary series on Netflix. When you understand what those components are and how they can be used to, um, you know, create a certain flavor profile within a recipe or a cuisine, that helps you become a better cook. Even though she doesn't really give many recipes in the show, yeah, um, she she helps you to understand how recipes work.
1: What's what? What are the the frameworks and the fundamentals?
0: Yeah, exactly. And what are the what are the alchemical transformations that we need to be aware exist so that when we start to go through them naturally, we know.
1: So I know this is a difficult question because I'm asking you to take a book and turn it into a tweet, but to give uh, to give all of us a, a, a better handle on this and you know be able to take some action. What what is a spell that we can come up with that is the first step to sort of creating that link and honoring one's ancestors that anyone listening to this, uh, who we might be their ancestors if they're listening, you know, late (laughs) enough in the game. Uh, So please honor us. I, I will accept most, most offerings. I'm not too picky, Uh, but yeah. What is it that we can distill down and and give people as the, the, the trial?
0: Yeah. So I like to recommend, A candle and a glass of cool water.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: And you can set this up in whatever space you have available to you. Um, Some people prefer to keep it out of their bedroom so that their bedroom is you know private and for private things.
1: Yeah, you don't want all of your ancestor ghosts watching you bone down.
0: Most people don't. I'm not. You know, no judgment here. Yeah. Um. So uh, a lot of people prefer to (laughs) keep that. The
1: incest and ghost episode is coming later.
0: Oh God. Um, so, you know, if you can keep it out in, you know, like your kitchen or living room. But hey, you know, if you're living in a studio apartment or you're living with roommates, you, you know, you find what works for you. Um, and set that aside and say a prayer. You can use the one that I gave earlier in the episode. Um, I will say, you know, uh, that one of the few nice things about Catholicism for, uh, uh, because obviously it has a lot of flaws as well is that it is absolutely loaded with prayers for the dead this is a huge concern in Catholicism it gets underemphasized after Vatican 2 and um, which happened in, you know, the the mid-20th century. Um, But if you do just, like, a quick Google search, you can find more prayers than you will know what to do with. And I think a lot of traditions have at least one and maybe more prayers for the dead, which, you know, if you don't come from Catholic ancestry, you're not, um, you know really comfortable with that, you can do a little bit of research into where your ancestors were from and what prayers maybe come from, come from that area, or you can always write your own. You can use poetry, you can uh, do maybe a little bit of bibliomancy if you have like a favorite book of poetry that you want to um, uh, just kind of shuffle your finger through the pages and then whatever you land on, maybe that's the right prayer for you to use in that moment.
1: So finding a prayer that helps you connect. And then we've got this candle and this cool water. What do we do with those?
0: Uh, Well, you are going to want to light the wick. Um, Of the candle. (laughs) Of the candle. Not the water. Not the water. Um, And set out the water. And, uh, you know, you can say your prayer. Uh, You can speak from the heart. Uh, I would say... You know you can kind of express your intentions and be honest because this this is the thing that i think people tend to um get hung up on in ancestor uh veneration is they feel like if their relationship with their living family is not so great or if they don't know who their biological ancestors were maybe they were adopted or maybe their parents just didn't talk about where they were from that they can't you know, that that's a blockage. No, that's a reflection of something about the ancestral line and something about where you are right now. So that is the material that you have to work with. And the the kind of hardest part emotionally for some people is being able to pray and to offer that up as where they're really at um, and to 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 address it. You know, my Intention, my desire is to get to know you better Mm -hmm. or to find a way to honor you that feels appropriate for me or to, you know, to find a way to honor you even though, you know, maybe I have certain emotional blockages around who I am and who I'm afraid you might be.
1: It's if I'm understanding this correctly, it's that you don't have to know all of the details because obviously you're here.
0: Yeah. So you're, mm-hmm.
1: an, you're, you're part of an unbroken line of procreation mm-hmm. that stretches back uh, as far as life on Earth. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you never, you, no one shortcutted into that line. Yep. And even if you don't know who those people were and their names and their stories, you can still think of this as the opening salvo of creating that connection rather than having to have all of the, the great-grandmother portraits on the family altar and, and doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know if you have if you know all of your ancestors' names going seven generations Good back for you that's great. You can recite those names as you're part very of your prayer lucky. life. You know you're very lucky if you if you don't know those things that's okay too. Um, you know the fact that I I have this connection with my drumming tradition is really important to me. Um, but I don't know how to cook the way that my ancestors did. There's a lot of things that I don't know about them, um, and so. You know, find the ways that you can connect. You know, if you're, maybe that's, um, you know, a, a spirit from the place that you know your ancestors are from. Spirit, is like liquor. Yeah. Um, or, you know, in my case, a nice bottle of wine from um, Abruzzo, where my father's family is from. There's
1: a good chance your ancestors like to drink. So,
0: yep. you There's know, a, pour a, one yeah, out. Yeah, or maybe, they, maybe tobacco was more culturally appropriate to them. Maybe there are,
1: exactly. you know,
0: sacred herbs um and so you can start to start to play with these other elements um as well
1: so i love this so just one of the things that i always encountered when i was first uh exploring occult paths was i'd be reading a book and they'd give so much freedom that i was like tell me what the fuck to do (laughs) just lay it out so for those people who are like me and just want a little bit of structure so then you can break it down later get that cool glass of water Mm -hmm. get that candle and then offer a prayer if it's going to come from your heart or you're going to make it up or you know your tradition that's fine but in the absence of that can you just lead us uh, perhaps in english uh in a prayer that we we can use verbatim
0: sure yeah. so i mean in english you can just say rest in peace <laughs> yeah you know, that's, that's something that you're
1: you're gonna say rest in peace if, if you want to do the most succinct version
0: Yeah, or, uh, you know, you might say something like, you know, I, I offer up this water.
1: I offer up this water.
0: That it will serve as a medium.
1: That it will serve as a medium.
0: Through which the light of my ancestors.
1: Through which the light of my ancestors.
0: May shine on to me.
1: May shine on to me. That's beautiful. I love that.
0: Thank you. I like it if you're... um, I didn't actually say this out loud, but if the visualization that you might do is thinking about that light uh, refracting through the water and becoming a rainbow.
1: Like that Pink Floyd album cover.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And then do you leave the water out or do you drink it?
0: Um, You can... uh, I usually leave the water out um, and that's what I'm more familiar with. I think that comes more from spiritualism, which was you know, movement Mm. about connecting with uh, spirits of the dead. Exactly. Very big in Europe and in the Americas Mm. and in the Caribbean. I mean it it was huge. It It still is huge in a lot of places. Everyone's
1: always, you know, in this current era, everyone's so oh the occult's trending so hard and it's like (laughs) you're missing the word again. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) And
1: again and again.
0: Exactly. Um and so that's it really does you know, in, in a lot of spiritualist circles serve as this medium through which, uh, you know, spirits are able to, to manifest. In, in uh, Italy, often you find it, you know, uh, tied in with this idea also of refreshing the dead. Uh, because, you know, having that Catholic influence, we tend to think of spirits of the dead as being very hot and kind mm. of, un- they're uncomfortably hot and that's what causes them to act out sometimes. But when they are refreshed, they, when they're cooled, um, they become a little bit more manageable, and you, you find that idea in a lot of, um, you know, kind of African thought around yeah. spirits, uh, various spirits, including spirits of the dead as well, and in Afro diasporic traditions, and etc. etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: The Velvet Underground said, "You got to cool it down."
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: Now, this is a bonus question that I may or may not edit out, but when you were talking about the pizzica, Dula.
0: Pizzica Tarantata.
1: Tarantata. Uh, I was curious about what you thought of the Spider Man mythology. And then you actually said the words, great power, great responsibility. Oh which my gosh, is,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, that is the sort of mantra that his uncle, who uh-huh. dies, his ancestor gives to him. Yeah. And so I'm just curious as to, to what your thoughts are on Spider Man. On Spider Man.
0: On Spider-Man. Uh, I wish I knew that, that mythology better right now. Um, I mean, I think I, I love, uh, and I think a lot of people really resonated with that line. It's, and that's, you know, now it's kind of cliche because it was, you know, it was like, I'll never let go, Jack. It was the line that everybody was repeating all the time. Um, but I do generally love, uh, any kind of narrative that is about, teenagers who are stepping into adulthood and stepping into their power. And sometimes we see that even the negative side of this, like the craft, for example, is mm-hmm. also a story about young people who get their first taste of power. Um, and they, Immediately go ab- it with it. they, they abuse it. Now, of course, I think that the, you know, the, the moral judgment of what they were abusing it for was pretty twisted. Like, I won't, I'm sorry, I'm about to go on a, a rant about the craft, which is probably not what we're supposed to talk about we'll, right now. We'll do
1: a craft roundtable in okay, another good. podcast.
0: Thank you. Um, but, uh, yeah, these types of stories are actually, in a way, a really good uh, metaphor for some of the some of the big lessons that I think I've gotten and other people tend to get out of ancestor veneration in that you are affirming your place in this ancestral line and accepting gradually more and more responsibility as you become an elder and eventually an ancestor. you now have you know more power and more sway in the world and you know in a way more uh, more kind of control over history because you' when you're aware of it, you're a conduit for this ancestral wisdom. And you get to decide what gets passed down to the next generation as the older elders, uh, you know, oh, yeah, you're transition the to the other side. Um, and so that's the, the bit I think that I can, I can kind of connect back to ancestor veneration is like you are increasingly powerful and thus responsible for what that transmission is going to be and what type of a world we are going to hand off to the next generation, regardless of whether you choose to have biological children, you are still involved Mm -hmm. in the transmission of culture and in the stewardship of the environment.
1: Mallory's new book, Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration, will be released by Llewellyn in fall of 2019. For more on Mallory's work, you can visit her website at italianfolkmagic.com. And to help us continue to pass this legacy of magic down to future generations who are going to be very upset about the state of the world, you can contribute and become a greater part of this ritual by visiting patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual to join forces with our magic as we worship the past and summon the future and make the world a slightly better place. Until next time, I'm Devin Person.